Welcome to the Hello Judges podcast, sponsored by Tales of Harrogate. I'm Will Woodhouse-Banks, and I love coffee competitions, both competing in them and talking about them. This episode is also sponsored by Assembly Coffee. Assembly is an award-winning coffee roastery based in Brixton. Their goal is to drive and promote innovation throughout the coffee industry. You can check them out at assemblycoffee.co.uk. My guest this week is Claire Wallace. Claire is the reigning UK barista champion and came third place in the World Championships in Melbourne this September. It was great to chat with Claire, fresh off her amazing run at the World Championships, and delve a bit deeper into her experience. This episode has a medium citric acidity, medium to high sweetness, and a low bitterness. Please enjoy. Hey. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, what are you drinking? What am I drinking? Ooh, I'm drinking El Deviso. Ooh, nice. Casual. Of course. Not quite. I don't think it is the same lot as Anthony used to win, um, but it's whatever. St. Ali had it mice from oh, nice. El Deviso, and it's so good. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Claire. Thanks, Thanks. for taking the time to uh, come and chat. No, good. Anytime. Uh, congratulations on placing third in the whole world at the Barista Championships. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, reigning UK Barista Champion. Indeed. Previously second and third place in the Barista Championships. Coffee I, Master yeah. third place. Yep. I just like yeah. working my way up just in order, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was just chatting with uh, Diana and mm. we were talking about how you just took one step up each year. I was like, there was no way you were not going to win it this year, right? <laughs> I mean, don't jinx it. It can all go horribly wrong on the day. Um, but yeah, what a, what an awesome journey it was. Like, um, obviously, I I watched you on the semi-finals day, and the moment I saw you not serve water to the judges, I was like, oh no, it's all over. <laughs> that was I got off stage. I didn't even realize I'd done it, and then Rose was like, uh. So you didn't serve them water, and my brain just went. And I thought, that's it. It's over. It's done. I'm in last. Um, but no, apparently it wasn't as detrimental as I thought it was going to be. Amazing. Yeah. PTSD so, from that moment. Yeah. <laughs> like, to, to think that you can have such an absolute, you know, nightmare of a moment, and then the next day just absolutely smash it. I mean, wait until you hear about my world's nightmare. Can't can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> it's worse. Uh, it's worse. We can we can start there if you want. If it's fresh, if you need to cleanse some demons, <laughs> start at the bottom and then work work upwards. I mean, something always goes wrong on the day. Like there's very rarely a day where you're going to do everything exactly perfect. Um, and like the first time I stepped on the world stage, the world stage was so much bigger than anything I'd ever been on in the UK. Um, and I'm quite, I think that I'm quite good on stages and quite good in front of speaking in front of people, but the world stages is a different level of big. Um, and I totally forgot to tamp my first set of shots. Uh, so live stream zooms in on these absolute 15 second gushers that oh, I still no. served because I just, I didn't realize I hadn't tamped. So I was just like, oh, all three of my shots a child i'm gonna just keep going um 
And then something clicked in my head and I was like, oh, I bet I didn't tamp those. And I tamped the rest of them. But I was like, as soon as I did that, I was like, it's done. I'm, I'm coming 47th. Um, was that your espresso course? Thankfully, no, because that would okay. have been done. It was my, I did my signature drink shots first and it was right. those that I did. Um, and those are the ones that I didn't tamp. And yeah, the scores definitely were lower than they, than they would have been. But um, yeah, I thought it was done for, um, but apparently no. Well, if you want one set of your shots to go wrong, it's got to be the sig drink shots, right? Yeah, it's got to be that. You can you can claw it back a little bit, and like the balance was still off, but you can you can sort of still get into the ballpark of your tasting notes, even with gushers. Um, yeah, but please remember to tamp. I don't recommend. Don't recommend it. <laughs> Number one piece of advice off the bat: always tamp your shots. Always tamp your shots, please. <laughs> uh, Awesome. Like, how did you get started in competing in coffee? Where did it all begin? Ooh, um, I think back now. Um, I, mean, I started working in coffee in Scotland, where I'm from. Um, when I first started working in coffee, it was just as a barista in Starbucks, which I think a lot of like really good baristas start in like a Costa or a Starbucks or a Nero because it gets you a really good foundation for like fast workflow and fast service. Um, so it's a really good foundation to lay. Um, but I had no idea barista comps even existed at that point. Um, and then I ended up moving to a specialty cafe in Edinburgh where I did my first competition because I knew the host of it, which was Lisa Lawson from Deer Green. She was hosting the Aeropress Champs. Um, and that was the only competition I knew about at the time. So I was like, that looks fun. There's a trip to Seattle. May as well give it a crack. I make Aeropresses at home for myself. Um, didn't expect anything of it and ended up winning somehow. Um, and that was just like the first foray into it. I'm, I'm quite a competitive person anyway. So um, it, it felt like a natural gravitational pull towards competition. Um, and then I discovered all the SCA competitions through my job at Brew Lab Coffee in Edinburgh, because when I joined, there were lots of baristas who'd done really, really well in the UK heats that worked there. Um, and I wanted to be like them. <laughs> so I joined with the sort of ulterior motive of maybe stepping up the competition stage and giving it a try and just going, I need to do this once and get it out of my system. Um, and that was, yeah, that was how I got started. Just following the, following the baristas that came before me at Brew Lab. Amazing. And then it was all downhill from there and you got addicted to competing. Got sucked in, got sucked in. I think it's just the, yeah, I, it, it sucks along the way a lot of the time because you're really tired and it's really hard work, but it's the outcome of being really proud of what you've done and also what you learn on the way is such a huge, like when I think of the first time I did UKBC in 2016, I was such a coffee baby. I had no idea what I was doing really now that I think about it. Um, I could make espressos, but I had no, no sort of concept of coffee origins, sourcing, roasting, none of that. Um, I chose to use a Rwandan coffee in the sort of time zone when lots of Rwandans had lots of potato defect um, and I wasn't even aware at the time. I was like, it's just delicious. So that caused me some issues. Um, but that was a big eye opener to green and defects and that sort of world, which is where I sort of ended up steering my career. Um, so I think that experience is a formative UKBC experience drove me to do more of them because the learning curve from that competition, I was like, if I can do that five times, think of where I'll be. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. I just I'm looking through my list of things that I wanted to ask you, and there's no sort of like warm up questions. They're all just, just sort of like in. <laughs> let's let's talk about some real heavy competition stuff. Are you are you okay with that? Have you had Go a for okay it. day so I've, far? I've slept until like twelve. I've got coffee now. It's fine. We're ready. Excellent. So um, you mentioned you at the time back then you didn't have much idea around sourcing and roasting and so on. Uh, I just had a question come through. Uh, what was your approach to roasting coffee for competition? How would you approach a new coffee that you know you want to compete with? Oof, that's almost like a general day-to-day -day question as well. Um, I mean, so last year, 2020, I think, and then this year were the first competition years where I'd, um, with the help of obviously Rosa, my coach, who's a much more experienced roaster than I am, um, were the, the first competitions where I roasted my own coffee. And so I hadn't really had to think about that approach before until 2020, which was another awesome learning curve. Um, and I learned a lot from 2020 to 2022 about how to approach, um, not only just for competition coffees, but for espresso, because that's a, a really interesting learning curve to make as a, as a newer roaster. Um, I think just my preferred way to, to profile is to take the coffee and roast it a few different ways in on an Akawa or a smaller batch roaster, just to see what the coffee can give me at different development levels. at slightly different um, heat approaches because I want to see what the coffee's got to give and what the coffee can lose at certain roast styles. Um, and from that, I can dial in, okay, this is the profile that I think will work best on an espresso. Um, and then we translate that up to the bigger roaster. And it's not always a, a one and done. Sometimes you have to, like with the Mauricio, we did one roast um, on the Loring that we knew kind of where we wanted to, it to get to, um, but didn't get there. We messed up the gas, um, but it still gave us a really good idea of the acidity, the body, the sweetness of that roast profile. We knew what the coffee could give us because we'd already sample roasted it. Um, and we knew that that roast wasn't where we wanted it to get to. And so we could taste that roast, look at the curve and make adjustments based on our purely just our experience of roasting on that machine to make the changes to get it where it needs to be. Um, I think what a lot of people and what I've learned certainly from going to Worlds and going to UKs is people often underdevelop their coffee in the UK for the water that is used on competition day. Yeah. Um, it will make a lot of coffees taste very bright and very juicy, which is awesome, but um, not so awesome if your coffee's not developed appropriately, <laughs> which I've definitely struggled with in the past. Um, so my number one tip is don't be afraid to develop the coffee more than you might think you would want to. Um, and yeah, that's just been, it's just trial and error and tasting and knowing what the coffee can give me and then using our, our roasting experience to try and get it there as best as we can with only four goes sometimes. Yeah. I completely mirror what you've said because in my experience with roasting the exact same coffee, like I like I was serving a cow roast of it and I think they were like 23, 24% development. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how, how can I keep developing this coffee and it doesn't taste insanely roasty? And that's what you've got to do to stop it from being so acidic. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like having tasted the Mauricio coffee that we used um, on the competition water in Melbourne, um, it tasted completely different to London, which is really fun. Um, but yeah, it did. The vibrancy was was massive. Um, and I think that was a nice, um, the coffee tasted amazing. But like if we'd known that information and we could go back in time and we had one more roast, we probably would have developed even more. Yeah. Um, so tip for roasters there. 
develop it more than you think. Um, because yeah, the competition water just makes everything taste super bright. And uh, so you went to Melbourne with just one profile of the coffee, right? So we went with, so we did five roasts overall. Um, we did that one that we just kind of chucked in the roaster, wanted to get to a certain place and didn't quite get there. So we knew that wouldn't be the one that we would use, but we used it for um, run throughs and just getting the SIG drink lined up. Um, and then three weeks before competition, we did two roasts with one end temperature, different gas. And then two weeks before competition, we did another two roasts with a darker end temperature and different gas. So we went with four different profiles of two different ages um, and two different sets of end temperatures. Again, because we hadn't been at Worlds before, no idea what the water was going to be like compared to the UK. So we just winged it. Um, and yeah, the one we ended up using, we, we there was one that we loved and then one that was closer to it that we didn't love as much. But if we ran out, we could use it. And luckily we didn't run out. So there was one one roast of perfection and we used it all the way from heats to finals. And I think I've got 300 grams left and that's it. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and so yeah. you were you, roasting that on a 15 kilo Loring. Yes, we were in and, four kilo batches. Yep. Right. That's a, that's a lot of money in the roaster at one <laughs> oh, time. God, right? Don't remind me. It was so <laughs> stressful. It was so stressful. But that's the machine I know so well. And I know the temperatures on it. I know how it responds. I didn't want to roast it on anything I wasn't um, I wasn't familiar with because that would have even given me more anxiety of not yeah. really knowing how the machine responds. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy that we roasted it on that. Um, but yeah, a lot of money in the drum. Oh my goodness. Uh, aside from uh, your roasting approach, um, how did you differently approach training for the World Championship versus the UK? Um. A lot of it was quite similar, to be honest with you, because I think our approach to the UK training was quite good. We did train more for Worlds. Um, we trained every weekend, every and a few weekdays constantly. We were knackered by the end of it. Um, I think a big thing that we made sure that we did this year was get a lot of a lot more people to sit in on run throughs, but also a lot of people with judging experience, because obviously when you're not doing the national competition, um, the national judges who aren't world judges can then sit on your routine and give you more feedback from a judge's perspective, which is incredibly useful. Um, Cause there's a lot of things in the judging mindset that a competitor, when you're so in it, a competitor wouldn't think of it being judged in a certain way or a judge's mindset. They're like, Oh, this, you said this and it made no sense. I'm like, Oh, I never even thought about that. Um, so getting just lots more people to sit through the routine rather than just my core team. Um, we did that a lot and trying to get more more people to sit through it because Worlds is a much bigger stage with much more people around you, much more distraction around you. Um, because round one in the Worlds, everyone's routines overlap by five minutes. So you're starting your routine at the end of someone else's and then someone starts their routine at the end of yours. So there's this constant chatter around you. Um, oh, wow. So we got as many people as we could to make noise and distract me and see if I could keep going. Um, and that was an extremely useful exercise to do. And um, we had Rosa stand there and steal things from me mid-routine and just like knock cloths on the floor and remove water things from places to see if I had enough spares to see how I'd respond to things going wrong. Um, so yeah, we did a lot more of that going into worlds from nationals. Um, but yeah, no, we didn't really change our approach that much. If it ain't broke, why, <laughs> why fix it, you know? Yeah, no, good point. 
Um, what was, like, aside from practicing the mistakes and things going wrong, what was the most useful part of your experience in your journey to the World Championship? Oof. The most useful in terms of, like, going on stage, you mean? Um, it was uh, a question from the audience. Oh. Uh, so you interpret it how you wish. Okay. The most useful part of my prep to going on stage. Ooh. Oh, that's a, that's a tricky question. Um, I think honestly the most useful part of my prep because there was a lot of times where I was knackered or not feeling well and just didn't want to go in and train that day which is where Rosa came in to be like nope you're doing it you're doing it you're doing it you'll regret it if you don't do it you'll regret it Um, and I honestly think just that little extra push of making sure that I showed up to every training that I set myself out to do um, really prepared me for stage because you feel I feel like sometimes I'm ready but I might not actually be ready um so actually just showing up to every single training that I set myself out to do because it's harder than it's harder than it sounds that's such an obvious like obviously just go to your trainings but when you're knackered and when you're sick and if you're the one person that's training on your own that day you could be like oh I'll just put it off and do it tomorrow yeah but no it's just showing up and doing the thing even if it's just for two hours three hours um, there's always a little bit of an extra layer that you build of preparation every single time you go in and do something. It's always worth it. And I find that every session, the sessions that I want to do the least are what I get the most out of sometimes. Um, so yeah, just the most useful part was having a coach who would be like, you've got to do it. You've just got to push through and do it because it, I needed it. I needed the push. Um, so yeah, having someone there to push you when you can't push yourself, very useful yeah it's so easy like when you have like as you said scheduled in a little practice on your own it's so easy to be like i've already done like three this week like maybe i don't need to do this one maybe i can have a rest yeah exactly Uh, i know and rest is important as well obviously but schedule your rest in but if you've scheduled in a training and you know that there's a certain thing you want to achieve that day just do it just do it it's eight weeks of your life three months of your life however long between worlds and nationals um, and I was kind of of the mindset that I don't know if I'll get here again. So, yeah, I had to put my all in, but it was really difficult. And yeah, so having that third that third party in Rosa to push me was very useful. <laughs> so thinking specifically of just competitions in the UK at the moment, mm-hmm. um, what challenges have you faced in relation to being in the minority, being a female competitor? Oof um i mean i'm a minority in in that i'm a woman but i'm definitely i'm I'm a white woman so i have definitely not experienced a huge amount of um discrimination for anything other than other than that um i think the hardest thing about that is just there's no like representation of someone who is like you makes i think it makes you feel like you can do something so it's kind of hard to compete year after year and be like I don't think I'm going to win this or I don't think I can do this because it's never been done before or like oh it's been 18 years and no one's ever done it and it can be quite discouraging um and like I've not experienced it myself but I've heard from other competitors that they've been judged differently based on ways that they present themselves on stage that could be characterized as a female trait versus a male trait and that the male trait has been looked upon more favorably um than the female trait or a female presenting a male trait 
has been marked down where a male presenting that male trait has been praised um i've luckily not experienced that um but i've heard that happen before and i think that's a very big struggle um it's just yeah the not having the representation and thinking that i wouldn't be able to do it and the discouragement of that was a difficult um and then yeah from that other perspective like how do you present yourself as a woman so that you can win um if presenting yourself in the classically male way doesn't work um yeah there's a lot of a lot of challenges to it and i i don't really know how to get more representation of our industry higher up on those podiums it's something i would really love to work on and i know cam from the sca is really really passionate about getting our our more diverse industry actually on the podiums um and so yeah it's something i'd love to get involved in more now that i've done what i set out to do <laughs> essentially which was to actually finally break that glass ceiling and now hopefully i can um help more women and other other minorities get there excellent i think um our industry will be all the better for it like it's definitely something that has been a long time coming as you said i think we did previously have a, a female champion 18 20 years ago something like that yeah which is a mad amount of time i know especially yeah. coffee's young but the the world competition's only been running for 22 years so there's only been two uk female champions in 22 years it's kind of insane yeah. when you look in a specialty cafe in the uk and there's a huge range in diversity in gender um huge range of diversity in in race and age and and that just doesn't seem to mirror onto the competition stage um and yeah i would love to see that change yeah it's like making that translation happen is definitely something that we need to all be working towards you know figuring out where the barriers are how we can overcome it yeah. uh and also like to your point we've only had two female world barista champions yes exactly and those are very recent um and I'm not sure if this is fact, but I think someone had mentioned to me that the first year that World Coffee Events um, brought bias training in to their judging calibrations um, in a much more detailed way, rather than just saying, you have bias, be aware of the bias. I think they did a more detailed, um, or they've started doing more detailed bias training. And that, I think, was the year that Agnieszka won. Right. <laughs> so whether there's correlation or causation there, I'm not sure, but... Um, seems to have done done well um yeah so hopefully we can keep making upwards trajectories from that in the uk as well i'd love to see more bias training in the uk um i think the last time i judged it was literally just you have a bias be aware of it um and it would be great to have a little bit more delved into there um just because i think it'll be good for for everyone honestly yeah absolutely um has i know we're still quite fresh from uh the world championships but has competing in competitions opened doors for you has it helped you with your career i yeah it has honestly <laughs> um not necessarily in a you've been hired because you're a champion sort of way but it's the people that you can connect with during and after competition that has opened the doors for me honestly um from doing my first competition so my first competition i lived in scotland and scotland is it's got a lovely coffee community it's great but obviously london's the hub and being from scotland you can feel a little bit 
on the edge of the world, quite far up north. Sometimes the heats don't even make it up there. So it's a bit, it can feel a bit disconnected. Um, and so my first competition, I, I really knew nobody and nobody knew who I was at all. Um, and then the first UKBC I did when I ended up coming third and all the people I got to, to speak to backstage and all the judges I got to meet, I left knowing a heck of a lot more people than I went in there knowing and more people knew of me. Um, and that sort of kicked off more connections from there. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up. My competition experience and showing the passion by doing competition really helped me um, in networking in London and then meeting the people who eventually introduced me to assembly um, met through competitions in Scotland and stuff. So it's the networking alone, whether you win, whether you lose, whether you get disqualified, it, that's sort of all irrelevant, but the networking is, is incredible because the, it's all these passionate people with you. And if you're competing with a bunch of newcomers in 10 years, those could be the people that run sourcing companies, that run cafes, that run the companies you want to work with or work for. So this is, it's a great place to be just to meet the industry. Yeah, I completely agree. And everyone else I've spoken to has like said the exact same thing. Like the networking is such a key part of it. And uh, as well as networking, just like personal development, like you learn so much from training to compete never mind competing like the run-up to it there's sort of a huge amount of learning there absolutely uh, have you got any other sort of thoughts or observations on how you think individuals and the industry benefit from these competitions hmm. i mean i think there's a long way to go in we, i think we could make the competitions better in a lot of ways um I think the industry has clearly benefited from competition in terms of the barista side of things. Innovation has really has really come through these competitions and then filtered out into cafes and into the wider coffee industry. Um, so carbonic maceration being an obvious one that sort of grew to prominence in coffee through competitions and then has trickled down and has made like waves on the coffee industry. Um, and just other concepts, freezing coffee, the EK43, like the industry has benefited from baristas pushing the boundaries. Um, and obviously those individuals have benefited from that point of view as well. Um, I've gone off on a tangent. What was the question again? <laughs> um, like, how do you think uh, individuals and the industry have benefited from the competitions? You made oh, a good point go. though to like, you know, carbonic maceration, equipment and so on. It all starts up there and then trickles down right yeah exactly exactly um so from that side of things i think the industry does benefit and like from what we've already said individuals benefit from the learning the networking because without i mean there's a lot of trade shows that go on but um i feel like just on a barista to barista level that's a really nice place for baristas to come together and network um i think baristas are quite competitive and i feel like there's a competition out there for every barista um, and it's a really nice place for baristas who work on bar to all just come together and talk about their passions, network and learn from each other and, and grow, grow your career through the people that you meet. So I think from an individual standpoint, that can be really, really beneficial, um, especially in the UK, because I think a lot of people are very open in the UK to helping anyone who wants to compete, which can open up a lot of doors if you want to learn from a certain person you literally just have to ask and a lot of the time they'll say yes and that can be an incredible learning experience for a barista 
I know for me, doing competitions has sort of nudged me in the direction of where my career is now because I realized that I wanted to know more about roasting and about sourcing and, and that sort of avenue. And competition really helped me to see that and learning more about the supply chain and, and all that sort of stuff through barista research made me realize, oh, there's way more to this industry than I ever thought when I started working in it. Um, so yeah, I think it really opens up opportunities for, for baristas in many different ways. Yeah. Um, have you got any words of encouragement or advice for people who are thinking about taking that leap and competing for the first time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do it. If you want to do it, do it. And I would say take the pressure off yourself to like blow everyone's mind's first time and win. And, and yeah, I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves leading up to competition to, they want to do the best that they can, obviously. Um, but you've got to sort of focus on your own journey and put the blinders on to everybody else around you, I think is probably the easiest way to do it. Um, because if you start focusing on what everyone else is doing around you and, oh, I'm not good enough to beat them, I'm not good enough to beat them, um, it doesn't become a very enjoyable or positive journey. So if you want to do it, put those blinders on, just do it and do what you want to do, do a topic that you want to learn more about, um, serve a coffee that you absolutely love, obviously get advice from previous competitors and judges on how to sort of best structure your routine, but um, don't put the pressure on yourself to beat everybody else necessarily. Um, I think do the best that you can do and take all the learning and soak up all of the energy and meet all the people because the podium place doesn't necessarily always be the biggest takeaway from the competition, you know? Um, especially for a first timer, I think being a first timer and having no expectations is probably the most relaxed I've ever been on stage <laughs> and probably the most chill I've ever been on stage was just doing it for the first time with no expectations and no and not putting pressure on myself. Um, and that was the most fun I'd had on stage as well. Um, so enjoy that and just just do it because you'll learn heaps. Uh, is there anything like just think about what you said is there anything in particular that you do like when you're still on stage before you call time is there anything you do to relax yourself or get in the in the zone do you have any secrets oh secrets I mean I think some people have seen me I, I tend to dance on stage and I'm not actually aware that I do it uh, <laughs> the music that I play in my routine is a big one for me so the first sort of when you're allowed music obviously the first few bars of music um, have to be music that really puts you at ease. Um, a lot of barista routine music can be very serious and very intense. And that's not ten that doesn't tend to be the musical direction I go in. I'll just pick a song that's relaxed and a bit more vibey. And that puts me in the right mindset as well to say those first few sentences. Um, and also just tune out the rest of the room. It's all about those four people that are sat in front of you so just pretend that they're the only people that are there just look at them don't look above their heads don't look around the corner at them um and that really helps me to relax because in your run-throughs you'll have done run-throughs for more than four people before there'll be a, there'll have been four people sitting in front of you and maybe like three people in the corner of the room and like it's it's easy if you've done run-throughs in front of people it's just the same same thing again so I just don't look at everyone else and just look at the four and that helps me to relax because you've done it before you can do it again it's fine <laughs> well that's what I trick myself into thinking anyway 
I really liked what you said um, for first-time competitors about shutting out like what anybody else is doing. I remember like this year, like in the run-up to the semi-finals, I'd be like on Instagram, and you'd see like Vag from Watch House was like, <laughs> oh, dude's practicing Ooh. again. He's training again." And Honestly. Every time I thought- Every time I saw a video of him practicing, I was like, I'm not practicing enough because I'm watching a video of him practicing. I literally think we've had the same experience. Hi, Vag, um, with Vag's Instagram. Because I'm like, how is he ready already? How is he sub 15 minutes? And I'm on like 18 minutes. <laughs> um, sorry, Vag. You both make us very insecure. Um, but no, yeah, that's for, like I've competed before, so I know that it'll eventually come together and it'll be fine. But yeah, if you're a first time competitor and you're, um looking on people's social medias and going oh no i'm not doing this i'm not doing this i'm not doing this you're just going to get into this spiral um of doubting yourself so it's probably yeah healthiest to try and um remove yourself from sort of looking at other people's socials or what they're doing or what they're doing because they're probably doing great stuff as well um but what they're doing is not necessarily what suits you or what fits you or or what feels authentic to you in your routine so don't even worry about it that's their routine not yours yeah for sure um do you have a memorable routine that you love that like one that you've not your own but one that you've watched or you might have watched on youtube anything that sort of has stuck with you oh stuck with me i mean there's so many great ones so many great ones i think i mean the first time i watched andrea allen's routine from last year i just it's i loved it because it's just it flowed so differently from any other barista routine that I'd ever watched um, to the point where I was like, how is she still speaking? Like she speaks the entire time she's going. Um, And a lot of the little things she does, it's not super flashy in its setup. Um, She doesn't have tons and tons of things working and spinning, but everything she did in that routine was extremely sort of well thought out and really tied into her theme really well. Um, So that always, sticks in my head as one of my favorite ones to watch just from a I imagine being a judge in that routine was also really enjoyable because it was just lots of different elements that just felt really nice <laughs> um like the washing the hands the stirring the espresso um the way the sig drink was presented the way she finished the routine on that last sentence I don't know it just it stuck with me and I really really enjoy that one it was a great routine even to the point of um I think it was for her espresso course where she was like prepping and tamping the shots like at the judges table yeah it didn't feel forced and like for the sake of it it was it all flowed really well yeah and like Juyon's is another one I really really like um just hers was a similar sort of vibe in that everything flowed really well even though she was presenting something super super complex it was so easy to listen to um and it looked like a fun thing for the judges to participate in as well because there were so many elements that just felt nice as a judge like sitting on the table or cheersing each other um, that brought them closer to the routine, which I think is a, um, a big thing for the judges. They want to feel like they're part of the routine and, and really participating in it and enjoying it. Um, so I think they both scored highly for those. And that I think makes a good routine to watch as well, because sometimes a routine from an audience perspective can be a little bit dry to watch when you're not in it as a judge yeah. is. Um, and so those routines, I think, would have been nice to watch as well. Um, so, yeah, those are my faves. Excellent. Uh, the big question that everyone asks everyone who has ever competed, will you compete again? Oh, I literally got asked that like 12 hours after Worlds. I was like, give me, give me a chance to sleep. Oh my God. Um, 
Barista, I'm not sure. I know everyone's like, defend your title, defend your title. And I'm on the fence because I know the heats will, as they always are in the UK, will be early next year, um, which is not a lot of time between just having done Worlds and then having to jump on that roller coaster again. Um, and to be honest, I've achieved a lot of the stuff that I wanted to achieve by doing the UK. See, like winning the UK was like tick. Um, Worlds, it, if I'd shown up and come last, it would have been fine. And then maybe I would have kind of gone on to defend. But then Worlds and coming third was like completely off the stratosphere. And I don't really know how I would top it. You know, yeah. I feel like I've I feel like I've topped it. And um, I could work all that, like I could work super, super, super hard again, like we did this time for six months of my life to try and come first. But I honestly think the marginal gains that I'd maybe get for myself in terms of like self-satisfaction might not be worth the six months of work. <laughs> um, I think coming third is pretty great. Um, I'm definitely going to compete in Coffee and Good Spirits. That's been on my list for years and it's just always clashed with life or with the BCs or with something else. So that's definitely happening probably in like 2024 when they run another one. Um, but no, I think I might take some time off for now. Yeah, I think it's well-deserved time off. Uh, yeah, I know. So my, my next question was going to be, what's next for you? Like, what have you got going on? And if that is chilling out and doing very little, that's an <laughs> absolutely fine answer. I think, yeah, I mean, chilling out is nice. It's nice to have my weekends back, like being able to go, what am I going to do Saturday and Sunday and not just spend it all in my place of work? um yeah i think relaxing is on the cards for a while because like we went from heats to nationals to finals that was literally like eight months of solid training um which was exhausting and i think yeah jumping into it again i just don't have the fire right now to jump into it again um like i did for nationals before so i think i might just take some time and relax and sort of enjoy the next competition circuit without necessarily being in it <laughs> might be kind of nice um and yeah just just focus on my job and relaxing sounds great I think was so. there uh was there anything else that you had in mind that you wanted to talk about anything you wanted to get off your chest that we didn't touch on <laughs> competition therapy with Woolworth banks <laughs> <laughs> um just think i mean no i think it was quite interesting there was a lot of chat at worlds about how we could improve the competition going forward and how we could improve accessibility to the competition um which i think is a wider discussion with the sca and wider than just the uk um but there's a lot of support at worlds from competitors and from sort of people in the in the um in that space of introducing some sort of compulsory element to barista yeah. championships um i wonder what your thought is on that would you be intrigued to see that come in because I think when, especially when you get to world's level, a lot of the time it can be like, oh, this is a competition of how, like, do you have enough money to fly your own grinder across the world? Do you have enough money to buy this coffee? Um, like, do you have someone who's really good at script writing who can write you a script? It can get a little bit like, where's the, where's the barista element in it that's challenging the person on at their barista skills beyond just the rehearsed bit? Um, so what do you think? Do you think it would be a good thing to add into Barista? Yeah, I mean, I, like what you said, to on sort of world level, it can almost be like directing a small film, right? With how many people get involved, how yeah. many 
different people come together and how much money is spent on it. Uh, it's one thing I love about Brewers Cup is the compulsory round. Like it's an even playing field for everyone. Like, yeah, yeah you bring whatever brewer you want. You can bring your own kettle, but you've got to use the water that's there. You've got to use the grinder. You've got to brew a coffee that you know nothing about, you've not tasted before. And that's a real test of how good are you at taking a coffee you know nothing about and making it taste the best you can. Yeah, and I, I think, think that that would really be barista skills, right? If you're if you're doing that on that sort of same level playing field. Yeah, absolutely. Like there was a lot of sort of chat on social media after the world about the top six and how obviously the top six in the world were from very wealthy countries with lots of access to resource, which is true. Um, yeah. And that's why, yeah, I I definitely felt that at Worlds a little bit when we, me and Rosa and my partner were there, and we were one of the smallest backstage teams um there was a lot of people backstage um and yeah it just got me think got my sort of mind worrying about how we can like if I think back to when I was a barbarista and the money I was earning as a barbarista and if I'd won that year I honestly don't know how I would have paid for all the stuff that I needed I'm doing inverted commas uh, for podcast listeners um to win a competition of that scale um and it's similar when I think about different different countries have different financial sort of cap not capabilities, but I think adding some sort of compulsory element would level the playing field, not just on a national level. Um, if you're just a person who works bar on a cafe in a small town versus someone who works at a massive company, it would level that playing field and it would level the playing field at Worlds in terms of you're all from quite wealthy countries with access to resources. These people aren't necessarily. But in this playing field, none of that matters because you're all doing the same thing with the same stuff. Um, so that's something I would really like to see added to competition. It would probably make Barista two weeks long, but <laughs> I think it would be worth it, honestly. Yeah, I think it would be really interesting because, like, to put my cards on the table, like, when I competed, like, you know, the company were really behind me. They allowed me to practice during, like, my working hours. And uh, we bought an insanely expensive coffee. And so like those things, they really do make a difference in this competition. I went on stage and in the finals, my espressos ran for 19 seconds and I dialed them in to taste amazing at 34 seconds. Uh, but I still came second place because one, the coffee's so forgiving and so delicious. Mm -hmm. And two, all the rest of it is so well rehearsed because I've not had to spend too much time outside of my working job practicing yeah. and like, you know, different companies get behind it for different reasons and to different extents, but like th the money that goes into the competition, definitely, you know, it's, it is a money game. It's absolutely a money game. And yeah, I think anything we can do to level, cause coffee isn't, just in those six countries that constantly get into the top six of the world right it's all over the world and there's all, so many different perspectives that can be brought from all these different countries in the world that they may not have the finances behind them to push not push their routine to the top six in a way but i think you see where i'm coming from like there's so much good stuff there and so many amazingly talented baristas who are just maybe not working for a company that has the money to spare but i think they should still have a fighting chance you know and i think some sort of compulsory element um 
it's also it's a barista competition so a person who works as a barista 40 hours a week should probably have some advantage over a full-time coffee roaster you know (laughs) and i think if we were to have a compulsory element a barista who dials in twice a day 40 for five days a week you know oops knock myself over um would probably have an advantage over me and that's probably how it should be um so yeah maybe hopefully in the future we'll see we'll see that creep in i would love to see that here's a a question we're going to figure out live uh who was the last (laughs) full-time barista to win the uk barista championship oh that's a very very good point um so like prior to you it was like paul and josh uh we weren't full-time baristas though no Mm -mm. and then before that it was dale and he was you know at the time a wholesale manager so i think in 2016 the first competition i did when i came third and won best newcomer i think i vaguely remember it being quite a big deal because i was a full-time working barista at that point i think i was the if i remember rightly the only person in the top six who was a full-time barbarista yeah um, that was the uh, dan fellows one right dan won and dale came second yeah um i got repetitive strain injury though so <laughs> maybe not the best idea no um but no it, it's very hard to be a full-time barista and do that competition because you can't train in your well you can train a little bit in your working hours but you can't say i'm taking the shift to go downstairs to the training room and train they're like no we need someone to pull shots yeah um so yeah yeah it's an i can't actually think of the last full-time barista who's one but my memory is short so i'm sure there's one (laughs) if uh if any listeners know the answer uh help us (laughs) send us a message um but yeah i think that would be a good thing to see definitely and that's i think where the compulsory element of things could level that scale and give barbaristas a bit of a boost in the actual real life skills that a barista competition needs amazing yeah well it's been you know 50 minutes of good solid chat man i talk a lot (laughs) doesn't feel like 50 (laughs) minutes already (laughs) it's been great uh thanks so much for taking the time claire i know um Obviously, you've had a hell of a time with going to Melbourne, competing and coming back and, you know, having COVID and all oh, that. I know. So thank you. <laughs> quite the month. It's been quite the month, honestly. My body's against me right now. I know. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And, you too. Uh, uh, also, uh, this podcast will come out after the event, but you've got uh, your WBC after party next week. It's actually this week. It's this Thursday. This week. This yeah, Thursday. This Thursday nothing too formal just a few drinks a few bags of crisps i think is our snack um <laughs> just to yeah sort of relax and like so many people in the uk helped us to get to third place in the world and like we couldn't have done it without them so got a guest list of those people and then tickets for anyone else who just wants to come and sort of celebrate with us excellent well i hope you guys have an awesome time i'm sure we will sad you can't be there yes oh well Yorkshire. another Another time, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, Claire. I'll no worries. Thank you. Bye. See you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hello Judges. It was great to chat with Claire about her experience at the World Barista Championship and what it takes to make it there. Next week, my guest is Dave Jameson from Dane Law Coffee. 
Make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date. You can follow us on at Taylor's Discovery on Instagram, Taylor's Discovery on YouTube, and Hello Judges Podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you usually get your podcasts. As always, it's been a pleasure to share this podcast with you today. Thank you. Time. Thank you.